Exploremore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 2. Forever Yours. Antarctica. We two nurses eventually arrived safely back in Wainwright, Alberta. Thanks for everything, Sue. It was a great trip. Yes, with lots of crazy memories, Sue replied. Have a good journey tomorrow. When will Alec arrive in Toronto? I'm not sure. The last telex message said he was expected to arrive a month later than the original plan so I'll just have to twiddle my thumbs whilst I wait around in the city. Oh, too bad. Well, maybe I'll have news in the post, I said hopefully, giving her a hug. Bye for now. Bye. I entered the nurse's accommodation and was rewarded with a wad of letters in my mailbox, a couple from Mum and Dad and a dozen from Alec. I ran up the stairs to my cosy room dropped the backpack to the floor and settled on my bed to open the first letter. British Antarctic Survey, Adelaide Island, Antarctica, 3rd of January 1976. My dearest darling Jan, well, Bert, our intrepid polar pilot of RAF Vintage and I, made it back here to Adelaide Island for New Year. After a week of delays at the US station McMurdo, the main delay was the weather, of course. When we did leave at 3.30am on the 29th of December, the weather was perfect and the light was bright in the land of the midnight sun. We flew away from McMurdo in our trusty Twin Otter, climbed out over Black Island, Minna Bluff, past Mount Discovery, Royal Society Range, out across the corner of the Ross Ice Shelf, then into the mountains again. Flew up the Beardmore Glacier, a giant ice river fed by two glaciers from the main polar ice cap. Some beautiful rock formations, layers of varying colours, blues, greys, browns, and outcrops of strange shapes. Antarctica is truly a breathtaking and beautiful continent of the world that few people are privileged to see. At the top of the Beardmore, the ice cap proper begins, a limitless white wilderness. A further two hours' flight brought us to the bottom of the world. A speck at first appeared on the horizon, which slowly formed into recognisable shapes as we drew nearer to the South Pole. The Americans have recently completed a new base at the Pole, a massive dome with three arch-shaped buildings. On landing, the chaps at the Pole station offered us refreshments, which included fresh cherries with stalks on, would you believe. Our plane was then refuelled to absolute maximum capacity for the nine and a half hour flight to our British main base on Adelaide Island. To prove I have been to the South Pole, Bert gripped the occasion using my camera. He took a photo of me standing beside the red and white barbus pole, topped with a silver ball. A rainbow of colour surrounded me, 
as the fourteen flags of the Antarctic Treaty Nations flapped in the breeze. It was incredible to know that the ice was 9,000 feet thick at that point. I made a pre-flight inspection of the aircraft and noted in the maintenance logbook that there was a hydraulic leak from the nose undercarriage, but we were safe to continue the flight. Unfortunately, overclouded all the way until the familiar mountains of the peninsula began to appear on the horizon as the sun shone through and the air cleared. Having fixed our position over Fossil Bluff, we were only an hour and a half from Adelaide, where we eventually arrived at 4am on the 29th of December. Yes, 30 minutes since leaving McMurdo at 3.30am, having spent 16 hours en route. Very confusing. Flying into the sun near the pole, time stands still. After breakfast, my mate Slim and I started preparing the new nose undercarriage for the aircraft. This project kept us busy for three days. There was no loss of flying time, as the weather hasn't been fit here or anywhere else. Howling winds, rough seas and snow falling in blizzards. Not fit for a penguin to be out in this weather, let alone us two. New Year's Eve dinner, a welcome reward. Base doctor being the waiter for the occasion. Everyone was dressed up posh after taking his weekly shower. Jackets and ties were the order of the day. Well, we are British when all said and done. Got to do things proper. The menu was as follows. Sherry to start, asparagus and shrimp cocktail, mushroom soup, roast turkey with all trimmings, accompanied by the best Moselle wine, Christmas pudding with brandy sauce, cheese and biscuits, coffee and liqueurs. The base cook did us proud and we all mucked in with the washing up before the Scots came in complete with tartan kilts, playing bagpipes and offering their traditional black bun. Spiffing what? Trust all the letters and the tape I sent via McMurdo have arrived. Looking forward to receiving yours when the ship calls into the base in two weeks. It's only ten more weeks before we'll be together. As each day passes, I long to see you more and more, my darling. I love you never seems enough for my feelings for you. But I do, more than I can say. Forever your Alec. Ah, I felt all warm and snugly inside as I quickly opened the second letter. British Antarctic Survey, Lassiter Coast, Southern Graemland, Antarctica, 7th of January 1976. My dearest darling Jan, I am writing this while camping on the east coast with the surveyors. Outside we have a regular jamboree, four tents and two planes. To do the surveying more quickly, it was decided to send the two planes. A good idea, except the weather decided otherwise, so now we have two aircraft here doing nothing. Still, they may as well do nothing here rather than at Adelaide, where we have no fuel until the ship arrives. I will now tell you what I've been doing since my last letter. Slim and I were kept busy. He was packing up some old-type aircraft oil to send back to the UK, whilst I was making a special spanner for use on the aircraft. I enjoyed this task very much, 
as it required a lot of careful measuring, fitting and precision filing. It was very satisfying to see the finished article work, having been that Saturday morning just a rusty piece of angle iron lying on the rack outside the wooden garage. Sunday morning was bright, fresh and clear skies at Adelaide, so we air-tested the plane after the nose-undercarriage change and refuelled her ready to go exploring. That day I was acting cook, giving our regular chef his day off for the week. A large tin of stewing steak, two tins of broad beans, two tins of carrots and a dash of marmite to add flavour. And there you have it. Oh, and of course, opening a packet of soup and measuring the seven pints of water was the hardest bit. After lunch, Slim, Bert and I flew off with half a tonne of dried dog food to Fossil Bluff, where we refuelled, and then on to Aileen Depot. There we met up with Giles, our other pilot, and the second plane. Also waiting were four surveyors and 36 husky dogs. Having refuelled again, with fuel stored in metal drums there, we all flew on to our present location to set up camp for the night. After pitching the tent, I prepared our meal, while Bert tied the aircraft down. Giles and Slim joined Bert and me in our tent for dinner. Later, I am now sitting outside the tent on a beautiful evening, surrounded by numerous small mountains, which are across a very gentle valley that curves around on three sides. Earlier I walked up the fourth side, an easy slope to a small peak, on which the survey station, a pile of rock, stands. Looking round the scene, in the quietness, not a sound, perfect silence, I marvelled at the sparkling rocks and a small pool of water, kept liquid by the sun warming the rocks. Growing under the water were very simple plants. Nature is incredible. How can a plant survive in such hostile conditions? I spent quite a while just sitting and thinking of you, my darling, wishing you were beside me, so I could put my arm around you and feel you close, sharing this wonderful experience. But all my life is shared with you, Jan, in my thoughts. Wherever I go, you are with me in my heart. Well, my love, it's getting late and we are possibly up at six in the morning. I will finish here. Next day. The weather has deteriorated. We are now in whiteout conditions. This is where the cloud at the right height and thickness diffuses light passing through it causing the ground horizon to blend in with the sky, and you can't see the unevenness on the ground. At its worst, you tend to trip over because you lose depth perception of the snow beneath your feet. The whiteout here is so complete that the top of the rocky peak nearby looks as if it's suspended in space. So whilst we wait out the whiteout, life consists of eating, writing to you, my love, and reading. This evening we will listen to the news on BBC World Service. What a sorry state the outside world is in. The usual strikes, wars and hijackings. I'm sure you and I should live on a desert island, you know. However, since we fell in love, problems never seemed so bad. Knowing you love me and I have you to love and care for.
Nothing else is as important to me as you, my darling. Several times a day I look through the photographs I have with me of you and are reminded of what a wonderful wife I have. The laws of chance were indeed kind in bringing us together. I love you, darling Jan. Looks as if Giles and Slim are setting off back to Adelaide after dinner, so I'll have to close here. I look forward to receiving your letters, and I hope mine have all been reaching you. Always remember, I love you, forever your Alec. I took a break to attend to supper and bath time. As I climbed into bed, I saw that farewell letter I'd written to Alec. I ripped it up and threw it into the bin with great gusto. Blissfully, I continued to read all of Alec's precious letters before falling asleep, dreaming of our first embrace when we would meet again. The following morning, I completed my packing and went across to the hospital to say goodbye to the staff before going to the train station. As luck would have it, the train was 20 minutes late. Lucky, because as I sat there, the postman found me and handed me a telegram with wonderful news. Clear skies over Drake Passage had given Alec and Bert the chance to fly out earlier from the Antarctic, leaving Adelaide Island on the 5th of March. Bearing in mind the long-haul flights through the Americas, their expected arrival in Toronto was the 14th of March. I was so thrilled to know that Alec was arriving sooner than expected that I called Sue from a public telephone box to share the great news. The overnight train arrived and I boarded it for the journey east to Winnipeg to visit with friends for a couple of days before I travelled in an executive jet from Winnipeg to Toronto. I felt quite underdressed in my jeans and parka jacket, whilst the businessmen wore smart suits and the women glamorous fur coats. I rested up after my travels and enjoyed the hospitality of good friends, Charlie and Connie, at their home in Richmond Hill. Charlie was the product support manager at de Havilland and had been a great encouragement to the British Antarctic Survey aviation team over many years. They made me feel so at home, and Connie and I had some fun shopping trips in downtown Toronto. The long-awaited day finally arrived. After breakfast, I had a bubble bath and dressed before going to the local hairdressers for a wash, cut and set. Back to Charlie and Connie's to pack, put on my makeup and a mist of perfume. For the finishing touch, Connie lent me a full-length auburn fur coat with a white silk scarf. Only the sunglasses were missing. I walked out into the cold, snowy day and took a bus, a subway train and another bus to Downsview. The snowfall had escalated into a blizzard by the time Bert and Alec were flying overhead. Downsview Airport had closed and they were diverted 10 miles to Toronto International Airport and landed mid-afternoon. They parked the plane there and Alec battened down all the hatches and tied and secured the propellers. Unfortunately, the ladder he climbed slipped and he fell ten feet from the level of the high wings. He was so lucky he didn't leave the airport in an ambulance. It was half past six by the time a taxi brought them to the de Havilland office, where I had been patiently waiting for my man. With a twinkle in his eye, Alec beamed a great smile from his bearded face 
framed by his long, wind-blown blonde hair. He enveloped me in a bear hug and I melted into his arms. My explorer had returned. And oh, what a night we had, whining and dining in a luxury hotel and enjoying the delights of being together again. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a Devil or Two to Boot by Alec and Jan Foreman, presented by Explore More. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.